0: So welcome to Film and Theology, How to Train Your Dragon. We brought an air show for you at the at the same time. Hey James, James, keep it under control back there. Under control. You're out of control. I'm just kidding. By the way, they have pizza back there. Buck a slice. I actually asked him to get that just for you guys, because I know how much uh, cheese and cholesterol means to you. You're welcome. Uh. We're we are not doing a cartoon tonight because cartoons are simply family-friendly. Uh, it's because I thought it would be good to do one, at least maybe one this summer. Cartoons actually make up a large percentage of movies that come out during the year. So in film and theology, you should probably actually do at least one as part of our culture. Uh, what does it mean to enjoy entertainment? Uh, I don't think it simply means that we shut off our minds and enjoy what's there because storytellers are always sending us a message. So we've got to figure out what that message actually is. And So film and theology is our way to see the greater narrative themes that movies are trying to teach us as a people. Now, some of these greater narrative themes are are positive, like, like WALL-E or How to Train Your Dragon. Some are negative, like... Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that, you know, or just they're negative. We don't we don't want to go there, uh, but directors and writers they have a message that they're trying to get across that they want us to understand, and so we need to know what people are longing for in their narratives. Uh, then hopefully in the future, you guys can then go out, especially if you have families and you watch movies and you look at things that are being said and things that are taught throughout movies, and you can kind of work and process through this as well. Um, Tonight, again, is How to Train Your Dragon. We don't have a 3D projector, sorry, so you get the 2D version. It's still pretty good. It runs 98 minutes long. Uh, All the sources say it cost about $160 million to make. I do not not know why ones and zeros cost that much money to make into a film, but apparently it does. It has made over $500 million worldwide at this point. Part 2 is actually in the works right now. It is written and directed by Dean Dubois du Bois, du and Chris Saunders, these two guys right here. Uh, the guy on the right is Dean. He actually wrote Lilo and Stitch, one of my favorite Disney movies ever. He also did Mulan, too much singing, didn't like it. Uh, I, might, I might start butchering the actors, the voice actors' uh, names throughout the movie, but I'll do my best. Uh, I think this is uh, Jay Brochell. That guy right there, he plays uh, Hiccup Horrendous Haddock III. You might have seen him in certain movies like *She's Out of My League*, which is actually a chick flick, but it's not so bad, you know. Yeah, also *The Sorcerer's Apprentice*. Uh, Gerard Butler, yeah, And *300*, you know, boom in the well. There, in the well, you go. You know, this is Sparta law-abiding citizen he is actually in a in a new movie that's coming out if they don't butcher it it should actually be pretty good it's called machine gun preacher machine gun preacher is a movie about a guy named sam childers he is a former drug dealer biker Uh, god finds him and redeems him and he becomes a crusader uh, for Sudanese children who are forced into uh, becoming soldiers in the war over there so hopefully the movie will represent the guy pretty well the next guy is craig ferguson It's Craig Ferguson. He has a late night TV show. Mikey thinks he's funny. I don't think he's very funny, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) His character is Gobber the Belch. Yeah, and he's got... Throughout the movie, what you'll see is he will use about 14 different attachments on his arm there. Uh, America Frera. There she is. She's actually Ugly Betty, if you guys... yeah. Whatever, okay. She's uh, Astrid. Uh, Christopher Mintz-Plaze, I don't know if I say his last name or not. This he, he, this guy is Fish Legs Ingerman. and I have no idea how this nerdy dude does, but he is in like every raunchy teen comedy out today. I do not understand how he gets the parts. Uh, Jonah Hill also seems to be in every single one of these type of movies these days as well, but he plays uh, Snotlout. And then lastly, you have T.J. Miller and Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig from SNL, if you guys don't know Saturday Night Live. Uh, this is Tough Nut and Rough Nut Thorson from the movie. Oh, and then last actually, uh, David Tennant. This is David Tennant. Yeah. Okay, David Tennant, if you guys don't know, is, well, uh, up until a year and a half ago, he was Doctor Who. Uh, and if you guys have he is probably the best Doctor Who I have, I've ever seen. I love David Tennant as Doctor Who. Uh, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, David Tennant actually uh, voiced the, the audio books. He voices the audiobooks, He narrates on the website. And they put him in the movie, but originally they didn't even credit him in the movie. Uh, but they think he actually plays a character named Spite Lout, but... There you go. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon is the fifth highest grossing animated film of 2010. Cartoon Network has now acquired the rights to this. It's actually the, the first um, movie like that I think DreamWorks owns that is the first show that they're going to do that's not on Nickelodeon. They're going to do it on Cartoon Network. That's going to show us sometime in 2012. Uh, in, the, in the book itself, uh, Toothless, uh, Hiccup's Dragon – it's equivalent to the size of a, of a terrible terror dragon, but in the movie they wanted to make it a lot bigger, so they made it a Night Fury, the rarest of all dragons, so they could actually ride on top of it. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon, the Arena Spectacular, is produced and is out in Australia right now, so you want to go see How to Train Your Dragon with 24 anamorphic dragons on ice you can get a ticket and go down to australia and it'll be great for you uh in the movie what you'll see is hiccup begins to read a manual a a dragon's manual and the writings in the manual are actually in plain english they just kind of cryptograph them a little bit and if you look at it enough just right you can actually read the words like when it'll say speed unknown uh if you look at it just right you can actually read that in english they just kind of cryptograph it a little bit uh, at the beginning of the movie there's a little narration and hiccup says this, he says, This is Burke. It is twelve days north of hopeless and a few degrees south of the freezing of freezing to death. It's located solidly on the meridian of misery. My village, in a word, sturdy. It's been here for seven generations, but every single building is new. Now the name of the village, Burke, it's actually a British derogatory term that means fool. And so they thought it'd be funny to put them to call the, the place fool. If people don't know it; they're even more fools for not knowing that. So now you do, and you're not apparently. Uh, the Night Fury dragon in the movie was originally going to be wolf-like in appearance, but uh, as the as the uh, guys were going through and look at the DreamWorks producers saw one of the screensavers of one of the guy one of the animators, and his screensaver was of a black leopard. And they saw they went, "Oh no, that's what it needs to look like." So then they patterned it after a black leopard, making it more feline in appearance. Now, and this is, this is kind of funny. The sounds that the terrible terror dragons make in the movie, all the grouting, is based upon a purebred chihuahua named Paco from Cottage Grove. Uh, Nia Hansen, the sound designer at Skywalker Sound, contacted the owners after seeing a video on YouTube of their dog, and they paid Paco $100 for using his voice. Here, here's one of the videos on YouTube of Paco. So that's, that's basically Paco right right there. Uh, the, the character Stoic, the the father of Hiccup, if, if he was made into real life, he'd be seven feet two inches tall. Kind of like Barbie, if all of her portions are right, she'd be like seven feet tall. So that's – and then and then again, watch out the movie, uh, Gobber, the guy with all the attachments on his wrist. Again, try and count how many attachments he uses. Apparently, I think I came up with 14, so if you can find – more than that. So we're going to start How to Train Your Dragon. Cool movie. I really like it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for animators and ones and zeros and (laughs) animation that seems to cost a whole lot of money. Uh, Father, we thank you for the creativity of of your people and that our creativity we would hopefully see comes from you and we would honor you more uh, because of what you have done in the lives of human beings. Father, we ask that all glory and honor goes to you. And again, we do thank you for film and cinema. And ask that we thoroughly enjoy how to train your dragon. Amen. Okay, so who wants a dragon? (sighs) Nice. I hurt my foot. I feel like the kid. I limp around. I'm like, oh, Oh, my mind's not made of like... I'm going to be brief because I'm, there's some kids here. I'm sure you guys want to get out of here. So I think How to Train Your Dragon has a lot of narrative things in it. Uh, Romans 5, uh, 5, 3-5. Paul says this. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, uh, who has been given to us. I think you see... That idea kind of played out in Hiccup. He, he suffered for his belief to be true to who God made him to be. You see the guy who goes, you know, you're just being who you are at the very beginning. He says this. But that suffering brought about his endurance. And then that endurance then leads to development of his character. His character then produces hope. And the hope is not then put to shame because eventually he saves the entire village. Now, I also think that this movie... This is a great way to understand gospel community as well. I'm not just playing off what Mikey said about the King's Speech a couple weeks ago, uh, but I, I really do uh, because the movie starts on a Viking island. Uh, there's this antagonistic relationship with all the dragons. Uh, it's simply a way of death for both humans and for dragons. And eventually, the young hero brings about the revival in this whole community that show that there's a better way to live. But of course, along the way, you know, it's not accepted immediately. There's a few hiccups. Along the way, I told Mikey that last week, and he goes, "What?" And I go, "The guy's name's Hiccup," and he goes, "Oh, <laughs> Some more sense." Uh, I I think the story itself is very significant. You know, uh, of the he's the first human in 300 years to choose to not kill a dragon, then he's the first to ever actually ride one himself. And the, the, there's like four acts in the movie, and the whole second act of the movie is the contrast between loving your enemies versus learning how to kill. Your enemies. I mean, we poor people are kind of tar, taught in our culture from the, our youngest age that we punish our enemies. We hate those who don't want to be friends with us. We look down on those who are not like us. But we, we dishonor the image of God and you know, other people because of how we treat them. And yet Jesus tells us in Matthew five forty three to 45 You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, we always talk about that statement, and we like that statement, but almost nobody lives that statement. When, when Hiccup finally lays all of his fears aside and tells Astrid, you know, his, his one true love, kind of whatever, he says, you know, he looks into the eyes of the dragon, and, and he saw himself scared and alone. I think that... Is actually the truth of all of humanity. You know, because of our sin, we are cut off from each other. We are cut off from God. We respond in ways that reflect all of the aloneness that we feel. And then when Hiccup finally makes this bond with this dragon, he extends himself in ways of friendship. And this, and this truth of this friendship in him allows him to see deeper than he ever saw before. Hiccup actually says, everything we know about you guys is wrong, because now he sees beyond himself. And because of the strength of that friendship with the dragon, Hiccup becomes brave in ways that he cannot explain, and in ways the rest of the village cannot explain, like what happened to this kid, and in ways that actually aren't even initially accepted, not even by himself. He actually become wise, becomes wise beyond his years. He starts in the end, he, he convinces all the other younger kids that dragons aren't their enemy. And then eventually, because of the change of this one person, the entire village changes from death to life. I mean, And, and again, the, this is what we in, God intends for his community to do, to step out into the world and show the entire world that, that death is not the way to live, that there is actually life, and God calls us to repentance and new life. Um, Hiccup sees that this, this entire kingdom that they have that's born of fear and born of hatred, that the Vikings have always sought, is, is not the right way, that there is actually a better way. And that if you, in fact, live this way, your entire island begins to live in new life. Life. Bonnie Arnold, who's the producer of the movie, said, Hiccup is a hopeful character. He befriends the mortal enemy of his village, and it's that relationship between Hiccup and Toothless which actually changes the world for the better. You know, we see this and we go, we go, yes, that's, that's great. We must see beyond ourselves. In Matthew 18, 23 to 35, Jesus comes in and he tells this parable. And I'll try and pull this together in the end because I do think this goes together. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now one denarius a day's wages, 600 denarius makes one talent. So this debt is 10,000 talents. This is about 60 million days of work. And when you hear about this, you think, how in the world do you get in that much debt? They must not have gone to Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. It's an unpayable debt. And it says, since he was not able to pay the debt, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. The word patient literally means be big-hearted. Please see beyond yourself. See my need. So he says, be big-hearted with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. And, And the word for pity, it means to be moved from the depths of who you are. And so he canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. This is a hundred days wages. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And this is typically how our world reacts, what we do. you know, in, in the movie, you don't know who started it. You don't know if the dragons killed the first human or the human killed the first dragon. All we know that there is this debt of unforgiveness going back and forth. It says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I counseled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on the fellow servant and just had mercy on you? In anger, and this is righteous anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to, be, jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. I love it's a parable about grace that ends in torture. Nice. Verse 35 he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart, and in the parable, you got to look at what's going on. Why does the king cancel the debt? Because the servants please be patient, and I'll pay it back. I will work sixty million days' wages for you. I mean, does the king cancel the debt because of what the servant says? And does the king go? Well, maybe you could pay that back. Yeah, it, it, it could happen. I mean, the king believes that. The king is stupid. You know, why does the servant originally believe the king forgave him? If he thinks it's because of what he said, then the king's an idiot because it's an unpayable amount. This is why the servant leaves the king's presence totally unchanged. He overlooks grace and compassion and leaves unchanged. The debt is forgiven because the king has done something. The king eats the debt himself. Jesus tells a story where a king pays the price, bears the cost, destroys a whole system of death that's been how we've always done it. For the past 300 years, we just kill the dragons and they, they kill us. That's what happens. And the king destroys that so we can have new life. Forgiveness costs somebody something. You know, the, the king gets rid of the system. The servant himself goes out and clings to the system that leads him into uh, prison torture and and death. Now what you see is that God kind of lumps all of us in, in the $60 million or 60 million days wages category. That this is we all have a debt that we cannot be pay back. And yet God forgives us. And God loves us, and God brings us home and offers us redemption. And then we are to then turn around and offer that to other people, offer new life to other people. In Jesus' story, the man asks for grace, and the king actually gives him grace. And that is the gospel. And and the master says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? A people of the gospel, who live the gospel, people who walk and live in life, and not those that bear grudges and hold on to everything in our lives. That keeps the war going on and on and on. See, how to train your dragons is a great metaphor of letting go of all the animosity, all the bad blood, because what you see when they let go of their hatred... Of the last 300 years, the entire community grows, they expand, they become greater than they ever were before. That Where they live, their home becomes a better place. And in truth, this is all of which God intends by reconciling us to himself and reconciling us to each other. Then he gives us that ministry of reconciliation. Now, how to train your dragon? It is a fairy tale, but I'll tell you that I believe that God intends for his people to live true fairy tale. That we have been forgiven So we forgive others, and that we have then been moved from death into life. And we get to live the life that God calls us to. That's what I see. You guys need to say anything else? Anybody? Oh. (laughs) Anybody else? See anything? Because there's there's lots of stuff in there besides that. That's that's just what really stands out to me. Father-son relationships... Now you guys are like a tough crowd. <laughs> tough crowd. Do you have any questions about it? Oh, did you? Um, yeah, okay, so well, this is the last film with Theology for the summer. Uh, next summer we'll come in, we'll we'll do five or six more like normal. So hopefully we'll see what, what kind of cartoons come out next year. We'll do probably do one and the rest will be other. Christopher Nolan, I'm sure, will be in there somewhere in some movie of... of of some sort. All right, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the redemption that you offer us as your people, for coming and seeking us and for uh, eating the debt of our sin yourself. And I ask that then you would teach us how to in turn offer life and not death to those around us, that we would uh, live in such a way that we have these types of friendships that expand the community that you plan for us to live within. We thank you for being a God who... Uh, though we have nothing good in ourselves, you come and offer us your goodness. And you lay that upon us. And so we now get to live and walk in your grace and goodness. Amen. All right. Have a good night.